Amen to that. Our sermon text for this evening is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, Thank you for the beautiful name of Jesus that summons people like us, indeed summons us, to follow him. Father, teach us tonight what that means for us corporately as a church and individually as people who confess the name of of Jesus, as people who are seeking here tonight and looking for that matters in, uh, and if you have a lot of followers but you don't follow that many people, well then that tells the world, oh, oh, I, you must be something, you must be significant because all these people want to know about your life and you apparently don't need to know about that many other people's lives. You're more important, you're more significant. You must be somebody, somebody that's interesting. On the other hand, if you're a person who follows way more people than the number who follow you, well, then I've seen it before. You can start to get into a discussion with somebody, a disagreement with somebody on Twitter or whatever the social media platform is, and one of the reasons people will dismiss you is because you don't have that many followers. I've actually seen that as an argument. Like, it's not even a case being made. It's just like, oh, hey, you have 25 followers. Who are you? Loser. You know, like that's the implication of the argument. And why, why does it matter so much to be seen as follow worthy? Well, because I think here in Western culture, deep down, we believe in our gut that it is far better, far superior to be the leader than to be followed. Cue the countercultural message of Christianity, maybe best summed up, noticed, or not to get too much fame for what you do, but to do it in so nobody knows about it, so, quote, nobody will follow you. And our nature, wanting to be in charge and wanting to be God ourselves, hates all that. We want the attention. I can't tell, I mean, I can remember one time, and I, I'm... <laughs> I was a shuttle bus driver years and years ago before I was a pastor for a hotel. And there was this one time that I saw this woman on the side of the road and I was driving the shuttle bus and I was only supposed to drive people that I was employed to drive, people from the hotel. But I felt so bad for this woman that I stopped and I picked her up and I took her to where she needed to go, just a few miles out of the way. And when I got back to the hotel, I remember so badly wanting to find a humble-sounding way that I could tell everybody I worked with about the good deed I did. 
I wanted people to see what I did because I wanted them to see that I was significant. And so, so the question we deal with on this third week of Epiphany is how Jesus goes about making people that so desperately want to be followed, making people that are rebels, into people that are willing to become followers. How does he do that? Or, as the word means disciples, just means to be a follower. How does he go about doing that? And the first thing we see in our text, if you look at it again, is is that it happens in his time. That's the first thing I want you to notice. He makes rebels into followers in his time. Look at the very beginning, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, it says, after Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, Quote, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Two words I want you to focus on, after and then time is fulfilled. Mark is very interested, wants wants to make it abundantly clear that Jesus is on a timetable. He's on a schedule. Nothing is happening by accident. That it is after John is arrested that the time is fulfilled in Mark's worldview. The Bible insists over and over and over again to us that this world is not moving in some accidental sort of random direction. As much as sometimes it may seem like that is the fact, God is indeed governing according to a plan. And Jesus, in his ministry, is active according to the plan of this God, his Father. So Jesus can refer to himself in scripture as the beginning and the end. He's the Lord over all time. The apostle Paul echoes Mark here describing the coming of Jesus as, quote, happening in the fullness of time. And this same truth is true for how he makes followers. It's in his time. It happens in his time. When you decided to follow Jesus, if you have decided to follow Jesus, please know it was only because he decided to first give you eyes to see him first. It's his timing that makes a rebel into a follower. And frankly, that's frustrating to me. You ever get frustrated with the timing of God? You ever found yourself praying like, what are you doing? Why? What are you up to? I don't get the plan here. Especially if we want other people to become followers of Jesus, we might wonder, how long, O Lord? Why not just do what you do now? Fix it. There's a mystery to this, and it can be hard for us because we want to be in charge. A guy named Dan Allen was a youth leader at my youth group when I was growing up. I had gone to this church as a teenager and had become part of the youth group. And each night that we gathered at youth group, there was a time where we would separate off into small groups and share things that we wanted prayer for, prayer request groups. And so, you know, typical teenage prayer requests, you know, would be like, uh, you know, help me with my homework, you know, help me do well on this test. Um, Sometimes somebody would be bold enough to say, please cause this girl to actually say yes when I ask her out on a date. I mean, that, you know... You get that occasional stuff. But Dan, my youth leader, would get more serious. And every week he had the same request. Every single week his request was this. Pray for my brother to become a Christian. Every week. I mean, it became like clockwork. We'd go around the circle. Dan, do you have anything you'd like to pray for? 
pray for my brother to become a Christian. This went on for so long that at some point I began to think as a young Christian, a teenager, hey, I think God's heard your prayer. Like, you don't need to ask for that anymore. Like, move on. But Dan knew better than I did. And he kept praying and he kept praying and then one week he walked in and said, Dan, do you have anything you'd like to pray for? And Dan said, very matter-of-factly, please pray for my brother. Last week he became a Christian. It's out of the blue. What? You know, double take. Like this had been months and months and months of him doing this. Like, what? And he explained the whole story to me and it turned out that uh, somebody had come to his door, a Jehovah's Witness person had come to his door and wanted to talk to him and, and, and his brother found himself actually defending the, the orthodox understanding of who Jesus was and by the time he was done with it, he's like, you know what, I think I actually believe this. I think I, think I actually believe this story about Jesus. And he prayed and became a Christian. Now why it took so long why so many prayers? Why the timing of God was not our timing? We don't know. But in his timing, he makes rebels into followers. It took him 80 plus years to get my grandfather before my grandfather became a follower. But it does happen in his time. Secondly, Jesus makes rebels into followers through preaching. So it happens in his timing and it happens through preaching. Look again at verse 15. Jesus, the first thing he does as he begins his ministry, he proclaims or preaches the gospel of God. He proclaims or preaches the gospel of God. Now I want to talk about preaching for a little bit because I think it's very understandable in our time to actually sort of downgrade the importance of preaching. Uh, you know, we're all, all of our attention spans have been shortened by our devices, by our television shows, by any number of distractions, that the common knowledge, the common wisdom amongst experts, whoever they are, about preaching is that the sermons should be shorter, they should be lighter, they should not really deal with much depth, they should be about five to ten minutes long, and that uh, if possible we should use videos and movies and whatever else possible to kind of keep you all entertained and interested or else it's just going to be my boring talking head up here and it won't do much for you. And I get that. I totally get it. I mean, you know, Jerry Seinfeld is fond of saying there's only three people who are called to stand up in front of a crowd of people and keep their attention for a long period of time. Dictators, stand-up comedians, and preachers. And he's kind of right. I mean, it's tough sometimes to listen to a preacher. I get it. I get how difficult that can be. But here's the thing. The reason why we do this every week, the reason we preach, is not just because I like to hear my own voice. But it's because in preaching, the word of God goes out and something, something amazing happens. God transforms people's lives through preaching. I don't know why it had to be that as opposed to anything else. I mean, I think other tools are really helpful. But there's something about preaching, something about hearing the word of God being proclaimed to us that, that somehow moves from here all the way to here that then begins to transform here. So Romans chapter 10 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And then it asks this question, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And what is the message that Jesus is preaching that can turn a rebel into a follower? Quote, the gospel of God. That's what it says here in our text, the gospel of God. That message is literally translated the good news of God. Now I want to pause on that word news. Too often preaching is done in such a way that we are, feel, we are made to feel like we're constantly commanded to do more and try harder. But you know what news does? News just delivers to you the facts. It delivers to you a message. That's what it does. That's all it does. It's supposed to just deliver to you what has happened. What is the good news of God? What has happened? Specifically, the good news of God is that in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom has come. And this kingdom carries with it the good news that he has lived the perfect life in our place. The good news that he has died taking the penalty for our sins. The good news that he has risen from the dead. The good news that he has ascended victorious over sin, death, and hell. The good news is that he's coming again to make all things new. And the good news is that he's declared us to be forgiven apart from anything we do, have done, or will do. The good news is that he gives you his righteousness and it is good news that he does all this out of great love for you. End of story. That's the news. That's the good news of God that Jesus is proclaiming to people. That message of the God who loves rebels, or as Romans says it, justifies ungodly people is what makes rebels into followers. Thirdly, Jesus makes rebels into followers through calling them. After good news is proclaimed, then an invitation is given. Look again at our text. He calls those who hear him to, quote, repent. He summons Peter and Andrew, James and John to Follow him. Jesus says, in light of what I'm doing for you and what I'm going to do for you, follow me. So too, when I stand up here and preach to you, I'm delivering to you news. And then after I deliver to you news of what God has done for you, at some point I'm going to ask you, will you follow him? That's the question every human being is faced with at some point or another will be, will you follow him? When me and my wife Missy first got together, uh, she was, she and I had, had, we'd just fallen sort of madly in love. We were um, always talking and always with each other and, and it was very clear very quickly like this girl is going to be my wife. I'm going to do everything humanly possible to convince her to do the most foolish thing she's ever done and marry me. And so I sat down with her one day and I wanted, but I, I wanted to be straight with her. I knew that I was called to preach at that time. I knew I was called to be a pastor and I didn't want her to go in with her eyes sort of closed to what that could mean. And so even though I wanted to just give her the smoothest possible sales pitch as to why I would be the best husband ever, what I said to her was this. I said, honey, I want you to be my wife, but I got to warn you, God's called me to preach and I don't know where he's going to send me. And it could be 
that he's going to send me to preach in Sudan. Now at that time, Sudan was about the worst place on earth. Still not doing real great. But I thought of the, the place that I could think of that would be the most unappealing possible place to live. I said, what if God calls us there? I mean, what he's, do you trust me? Will you trust me with your life? Will you stop trying to pretend like you have control and just admit that you don't and follow me? Will you trust me? Even if I do take you to Sudan, will you follow me? And what happens when you do, when you follow Jesus through the, the valleys and the mountains and everything that this life has to offer, but when, you, when you say, I'm, I'm trusting you, I, don't, I might not get what you're doing, but I'm trusting you, when you follow him, well, it results in him equipping you to serve him and to serve others. That's what happens in our story. He calls a bunch of fishermen and tells them that from now on they will be fishers of men. I love the picture. I mean, it's, Mark is this, is this strange author. I mean, so all the gospel writers have their sort of distinct styles. One of the things about Mark that is distinct is Mark always uses this word immediately all throughout his gospel. And immediately they did this, immediately they did this, and immediately they went there. He's really, he doesn't care. will really give you life. What are the things that you are looking to besides God to give you your sense of purpose and your sense of life and your sense of satisfaction and your sense of provision? What is it? For some, it's money. For most, I would imagine, a lot of the time, it's money. It's if I just have enough. For some, it's love. If I just have somebody that I know loves me. For others, it's sex or it's power or it's success in your career, especially here in New York City. Success is everything. It matters so much that we're seen as successful. And Jesus says, no, no, no. First, before you go after your career, which is great. Before you go after somebody to love, which is great. Before you go after money, which is just fine. First, drop that and follow me. Follow me through all of that. And here's the thing. No one would have guessed what they were called to do based on their background. Being fishermen, they were not equipped to be speakers. They weren't well educated. They weren't people that knew what they were doing. But God says, I'm going to make you a fisherman. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you speakers. I'm going to make you proclaimers of the message that will save people. I love it. I love the picture here. When I first started off as a pastor in California, um, you know, I was preaching in, in my hometown. So there was an advertisement that went out from my church in a local magazine and, uh, you know, to lots of the neighborhood. And I remember getting a phone call in the church office one day from somebody that I went to high school with. I hadn't seen since high school. And the guy on the other line said, is this... Eric Sorensen that went to such and such high school? And I said, huh? And he said, really? And I said, yeah. He said, do you remember my name? His name was Bob. He said, do you remember Bob? And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember Bob. I, yeah, how you doing? And he said, good. So you're really a preacher? I said, huh? Yeah, I am. He's like, what happened? 
Because there is no one that would have guessed ever in a million years that had known me in high school that I'd be a preacher by the time I was 29 years old. Nobody. But when God calls a person, he equips them to do whatever he's called them to do. I don't know what it is for you. Most are not called to be preachers. But he will equip you in order to serve him and to serve others in any number of areas. He'll do it. And it might be surprising to those around you. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And this is true for all of you who follow Jesus. You are gifted and will be equipped to serve him and your neighbor in various ways. I love seeing the example of that last week with Dom as he got up here to preach for the first time. I guarantee you, years ago, Dom would have told you, nope, I'm, ain't, I'm, not, I'm not preaching from a pulpit. And then what do you know? Bing! It happens. And he crushed it. And God will do the same for you. So, and why does he do it? Because this is what happens when he turns rebels into followers. Let's pray. Father, <coughs> help us as we, we continually wrestle internally with being rebels still to trust you enough to be followers into places that seem crazy and unsafe and unpredictable and places where we're not quite sure what the result will be. Help us, Lord Jesus, to trust your word that where you lead, where you lead, you will equip and you will guide, you will strengthen. You will not leave us in the valley of the shadow of death alone, but you will walk through it with us. And that your being with us, Lord God, is enough to get us through anything. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we go to the table... And...